And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, Movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the quintessential Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Gerald Moore stars as Raymond Chandler's detective creation, Philip Marlowe, in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from 1950. But first, it's Name That Tune. Lisa Wolf Cullen will play short clips from popular Cole Porter songs, and a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Anthony and I will try to name that tune, right, Lisa? That's right. We've got Anthony down the phone right now. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Anthony. How are you? Terrific. So glad that you made it through. We're going to talk a little Cole Porter. Porchlight Music Theater is launching its season with Chicago's Cole Porter Festival which is a celebration of the man and his music. And this festival will honor Cole Porter's incredible career. And it's got live events, digital events. You can check it out at porchlightmusictheater.org. And here at Hollywood 360, we're thrilled to participate in the Cole Porter Festival. So we are paying tribute to Cole Porter. And in this segment, we will be doing Name That Tune. It's all Cole Porter songs. As soon as you know the title of the song, just shout it out. Of course, Cole Porter was the writer and composer for all of these songs, and they are going to be sung by various different wonderful artists. Oh, yes. You know, he went to Yale. He did go to Yale, and then he went to Harvard I, Law School. I Oh, I didn't know that. I just remember, I happen to remember that because some baseball player went to Yale, and I remember reading about various famous alumni yes, from Yale. He was uh, one smart guy. Wow. <laughs> A lot of those musicians are. Um, I guess it's uh, it's a thing. What do you think, Carl? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, but I don't know anything I'm not about sure. it. <laughs> you were just looking like kind of like uh, a little confused right there. I am confused. I know. I'm still trying to think if there's life on other planets. <laughs> what do you think, Tony? Uh, Anthony? What do you think? I, do you think there's life on other planets? Some sort of life, definitely. I think so, too. I, I go with that. Some sort of life. Yeah, Whether it's probably, human, I don't know. They probably like Cole Porter music, too. On who, those I other, mean, who yeah, doesn't? Who doesn't? Right? Are you ready? Let's start. All right. Here is your first okay. Cole Porter song. Shout out the title as soon as you know it. If driving fast cars, you like a bold bar, you like a bold hymn, you like a bare limb, you like a Mae West, you like or me undressed, you like why nobody will oppose. That is Sutton Foster, by the way. Oh, I know this song. I just can't. Yeah, it's difficult. I don't know. Anything oh, coming to you? Yeah. There it is. Anything Goes, written by Cole Porter for his 1934 no, 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 musical. I think that was in a movie. Yes. Both. All right. We, met, we didn't get the first one. All right. All right. Song here is two. your next song. This is a Cole Porter song sung by Ethel Merman. 
Ethel Merman. I get no kick from champagne. Beer alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. I get a kick out of you. Yes. Yeah. I get a kick out of you. That is it. I gave you a big clue there at the beginning. Did you? Um, well, it was I get a kick out of champagne. I thought that might help you out. Yeah, you get a kick out of Roma Wines. Get a kick out of you. Uh, this was first song in the 1934 Broadway musical Anything Goes, and then in the 1936 film version. All right. Okay, I'm up one. All right. Up one, Anthony. Here we go. Here's your next uh, Cole Porter song, sung by Tony Bennett. Hmm. You are the one. Only you beneath the moon and under the sun. Do I love you? No. He's so cool, that Tony Bennett. Is it? He sure was. I don't know the song. It's no matter, darling. You know this one, Anthony? That's tough. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was the love song. I, uh. This is called Night and Day. Oh, this Night is, and um, Day. Written for the 1932 <laughs> musical Gay Divorce. Okay. Why is it so? Why is it so? Isn't he great though? Oh, oh, you. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get a record. Deal. I gotta get a record deal out of yeah, this. Yeah, this, this. I'm sure this song will do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next All right. Song. Here's the next Cole Porter song, sung by Frank Sinatra. Oh, chairman of the board. I've got you deep in the heart of me. Oh, I know this. This is um. So deep I've got you under my skin. That's, That's it. I've got you under my skin. 1936. I've got you under my skin. Introduced in the film Born to Dance, performed by Virginia Bruce. Ah, yeah, there it is. I've got you under my skin. He's pretty darn cool too, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> Not to give in. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, somebody out there, sign me. Oh, we'll sign me. So we'll, I mean, we'll sign you all, right? Come on, <laughs> sign me to a singing contract. Anthony, don't you know anybody in the music business? Well, you know, there are a lot of great Italians. Anthony Benedetti, he yeah. changed his name to Tony Bennett. Yeah. Right. And um, oh, Johnny Rivers was uh, Johnny Reminelli or something from Brooklyn, another yeah. Italian. A Lady Gaga, too, right? Yeah. So maybe, Carl, you need to change your name. That, yeah. That must be the problem. I think that is the problem. You'll work on Can't that. Can't be my voice. <laughs> Couldn't be that. <laughs> Couldn't Lisa, be my... Lisa, if you say Carl Amari fast, yeah. three times real fast, it sounds like Calamari. It does. Yes, it I've does. heard that a couple of times. I'm very careful <laughs> not to do that. This is the name that my parents gave me. There's right, nothing, it was like a bad joke, right? <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> All right, ready All right, for the next one? Here's your next song, 1928 Cole Porter song. This is sung by Ella Fitzgerald. Okay. Birds do it. Mm. Bees do, do it. it. Even educated fleas. Do it. What is it? Let's, Let's do it. What? 
Let's misbehave? No. So close. It's let's do it, let's fall in love. There it is. Oh, let's fall in love. Introduced in his uh, Cole Porter's first Broadway success, the musical Paris, 1928. See, I like this. Like, I like it. It sounds nightclub. I like I like, a jazzy slow, I like a slow song like this. You know, you, like you tell me you don't. No, like slow I, it, well in a in a song like this, like I it's got a jazz. I like rock feel. and roll, of course. But if you're gonna sing a song, I like it. I like to to let it let it breathe a little. You know, I agree. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. Oh, you, yeah, songs need oxygen. That's <laughs> right. Like uh, Lisa drinks that Roma wines over there. She's like, well, don't let me let it breathe first that's for a little right. while. That's, that's right. All right, one more. All right, final song. Uh, this Inside. is sung by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Who will buy? Who would like to sample her supply? Who's prepared to pay the price for a trip to paradise? It is. Love for Sale. Love for Sale by Cole Porter. Yeah. Right, from the musical oh. The New Yorkers opened on Broadway in 1930. Yeah. Great, right, well, great song. We got to run, but Anthony, thanks so much. I'm going to send you some Twilight Zone CDs, all right? That's awesome. All right, brother. Thanks, Anthony. When we come back, right. it's Philip Marlowe. Stick around. Love for Sale. Appetizing young love for sale. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Last week, we had Anthony Moore on, Anthony J. Moore and uh, that's uh, Tony, or I should say Gerald Moore's son. He was awesome. And I asked him to come back again and do a part two because it was so much fun playing his dad's radio shows and talking to Tony Moore, not only about his career as a judge and a author, but growing up as the son of a very, very popular radio personality, Gerald Moore. And we're going to hear Gerald Moore in this episode of Philip Marlowe uh, from February 21st, 1950. This is called The Ladies' Night. It's ladies' night, and I'm feeling right. right? How's yeah. that song go? I don't know. Anyway, that, it's ladies' night. I have night. no idea. And, uh, yeah, 1950 broadcast is heard on CBS, part one of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time, a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom. 
all had one thing in common. Each was a woman. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Ladies' Night. moment the sauce is boiling furiously, which is right now, add one full cup of tomato paste gradually and stir vigorously. Okay? One full cup of tomato paste gradually... Oh, no. No, not now. I'll be a minute. Yeah, I said I'll be... Oh, oh no. Ooh. Ow. All right. So I add tomato paste cup and all. Okay. Okay, I'm coming. Who is it? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to buy you. Kay Vanneman. Yes, darling. Staunch friend Kay. Am I welcome? Me and my small Western Union joke? Oh, sure, sure. Come on in. Come on in, honey. We'll go in the kitchen. Oh, it's not Marlo playing chef again. What is it this time? Well, sauce a la Marino. Hmm? Mm. What's on your poor little rich girl's 14-carat mind tonight? You. It's Tuesday. Tuesday? Yes. This is meeting night in my crowd. The Greens Committee at the Country Club, the Beverly Hills Male Choir, the veterans of this and that. Mm-hmm. So, no men left. Oh, except staunch friend Marlowe, huh? Look, uh, Kay, baby, just because I... I know it by heart, Phil. Just because brave private detective once saved rich Uncle Enoch's niece, Kay, baby, from lots of trouble... For which he was well paid. There's no reason why they've got to go on seeing each other. Well, mister, you're wrong. There is a reason, a big, fat one. I like you. Lots. You do? Especially on Tuesdays. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Now, look... I'm not being too bold, am I? I did call, you know, three times. You weren't home all day. It didn't discourage you. Uh Uh-uh. If I can't have you, I'll take the doorstep. Tuesdays. Hmm. On Tuesdays. <clears throat> now, uh, about this sauce a la whatchamacallit, what do we do first? Fish out the cup or wait for it to melt? Well, it all depends. If we want to, uh... Hey, hey that thing's sticking out of your pocket. Real telegram or prop for gag? Oh, no, no prop. Real thing. Oh? Huh? I met the boy in front of your door. Here. Open it up, will you? My hands are greasy. So I noticed. Over there, self-reliant. It's called soap and water. Oh. Mm. Well, read it, dear. Straight like, huh? Okay, straight like. Tried to reach you all day. Very important. Uh-huh. Meet me at the Tulip Room. Sunset Strip at 8 tonight. We'll pay tulip you room. triple your fee. Time means everything. Gigi Or- Ormsby. You know her? Give me the towel, will you? Yeah, I think... Sure, she's the demon editor for Passman House. Who published what? Magazines. Torrid love. Great passion. You know, the shop girl's encyclopedia. Uh-huh. Well, now tell me, shop girl, where'd you meet editor G.G. Ormsby? At a cocktail party about a year ago. She's quite a character. Sleek to look at. And listen to? Oh, someplace between a career woman and a marine sergeant. Credit good? Mm, excellent. Mm. Uncle Enoch once shook hands with her, and that's better than Dunn and Brad. <laughs> hey, where are you going? The Don jacket and professional demeanor. Both are going to the tulip room. Oh, Phil, can but I... you're not. Phil, that's not fair. This is And Tuesday. the sauce a la Marino needs one measuring cup removed. A delicate woman's touch from here on in. 
Bye-bye, Kay. You're a staunch friend indeed. The uh, tulip room was one of those extra chic spots, you know, curled up at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, where the velvet and the maitre d's tone of voice made you sure you had egg on your vest. But that plus the crew-cut glamour girls who lined the boots and shrill darling, no matter what was said, made finding my prospective client that much easier. In severely tailored banker's gray flannel, she stood out among the neighboring naked shoulders like a wart on a cue ball, as did her voice, which once it had gone through the introductions, came right to the point. Marlo, my problem is simple. I want to find a woman in a hurry. Her name is Henrietta Lawrence. She's a good hack writer who disappeared. I know not why. Health? Likewise. Now, here it is. One, two, three. A couple of weeks ago, Henrietta Lawrence showed up in my office from someplace like Seattle or Portland, I forget which, and handed me an outline for a three-installment serial story that was excellent, according to our standards. Mm. Three days ago, she brought in the first two installments, also excellent. But the day before yesterday, when the third installment was due, I was sitting in my office window when this happened. She only got as far as the front door. What happened? I don't know. She saw somebody going by slowly in a car. Scared the daylights out of her, and she hobbled for a cab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say hobbled? Yes, she limps. Uses a cane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she piled into this cab and took off. Haven't had a word from her since. I'm worried, Marlo. She's a nervous thing, the kind who'd go to pieces. Little ones fast. So I want you... Gigi Ormsby. Oh, as I live and breathe Uh, this uh, stale microbed, darling, how are uh, you? Busy, Jeanette, busy. (laughs) So I see. And what's the handsome gentleman's name, or am I supposed to get? It's Dracula, darling. We're uh, counting the white throats. Goodbye. Oh, Gigi, you're priceless. Goodbye, Jeanette. This is business strictly. Well, I was only being friendly. Excuse me, darling. Happy business. Oh, what they let loose after dark. (laughs) Anyhow, Marlo, I want you to find this girl. She may be in an awful jam. Now, what do you want to know? Well, description might help, Gigi. Okay. Henrietta's about 35 on the drab side. No makeup, no jewelry. Each time I saw her, she was wearing the same thing. A plain brown coat, a plainer brown hat, low heels. All in all, the sex appeal of a tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Last address you had on her? It's the only one. The Brace Hotel for Women, room 7. Mm. It's over on Fountain near La Cienega. But she hasn't checked back there in two days, either. The giggling flower of the old South desk clerk I talked to on the phone today hasn't the slightest idea where she is. <laughs> but I figure for you, she might, Marlo. She's probably got a face like wet hemp. Her name is Clarice. Well, we'll try it. Where can I reach you, Gigi? At my home in Brentwood. Sunnyside 91011. 1011? Yeah, I'll stay next to the phone. Mm. Really do your best, will you, Marlo? Okay, Gigi. It'll be my best, all right. Don't worry about it. I'll call you. One moment, please. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Can I... Can I help you? Are we alone? Is the switchboard closed? Why, why, yes. Good. You see, I'm a private detective named Marlowe, Clarice. (gasps) A private detective? And you know my name. Oh, we find things out. Oh, how can poor little old me help you? Well, it's about Henrietta Lawrence, the girl with the cane. Mm-hmm. She's in trouble, and uh, I think it's a man. So do I. Who? Well, I don't know. You sure? 
positive. She was always so quiet, so mysterious. It was enough to make a body curious. Oh. So one night I followed her. She went to Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club. Uh, that's a ladies' Turkish bath over on Santa Monica Boulevard in Doheny. Mm. Well, maybe she ducked in there because she knew you were following her. Oh, huh? no, I was very careful. Besides, she had something to say to a woman there. Uh-huh. I know I saw him talking in the doorway when I went by. Couldn't see who it was, though. No man, huh? No. <laughs> but I keep my eyes open when she comes back. Oh, you do <laughs> just that. <laughs> keep them wide open, Clarice. They're lovely eyes. Oh. <laughs> Good night, honey. My client was wrong. Clarice did not have a face like wet hemp. It was more like a batch of biscuits, but the body curious had provided a lead. As far as the corner of Santa Monica and Doheny, and into the white antiseptic-looking reception room of Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club, women only. My husband said if I... There I forgot about Clarice hemp and biscuits alike and thought instead about something a whole lot tastier. Like the girl who was leaning on the corner of a desk marked information while she made pencil marks on a chart. She looked up when I closed the door and started toward me. But when another door in the room opened and a woman who was built like a sack of cement bore down on me, she turned back to her chart. Yes, sir. I help you. I'm Annie Stringer. We don't have a men's section here, if that's what you wanted. No, it was something else, Miss Stringer. Annie will do. Oh. Name's my stock and trade. Something else like what? Henrietta Lawrence. I'm looking for her. Who are you, mister? What's your name? Philip Marlowe. I'm a friend of Henrietta's from Portland. They told me over at the Brace Hotel that Henrietta might be at your place. You see, someone had seen her come in here once. Mm, Henrietta Lawrence. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, name doesn't mean anything Mommy. to me, but... Mommy, Mrs. Gordon wants you to come be for a while. All right, Hilda, be right there. I uh, don't recall anyone by that name, Mr. Marlowe, but you might check with my receptionist there. Uh, take care of the gentleman, will you, Mona, dear? Very well, honey. I'm coming, Mrs. Gordon. I'm... I'm sorry, Mr... Marlowe, Mona, dear. Philip Marlowe. Marlowe. Well, I don't recall any Henrietta Lawrence ever having been with us, but uh, why don't we check the registration cards at my desk and be sure? I might be mistaken. All right. She's a woman about 35. She wears no makeup and... Never mind. I know her, amigo. What? Just listen. You see, Mr. Marlowe, the cards here list everyone who ever visits the club. Mm. Why do you really want Henrietta Lawrence? Well, I'm a private detective with interested clients. Who has money, amigo? It could be. What's your connection here? Receptionist. Oh. And good friend to Annie. Her um, confident, you might say. All right, say it. Meet me in the alley behind the hardware store across the street in a half hour. We close then. Well, I- I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but we don't seem to have any listing of a Henrietta Lawrence. But perhaps in the No, future... never mind. Thanks just the same. Well, you're quite welcome. Don't keep me waiting, amigo. Don't keep me waiting. Senorita. That almost sounded like a little aside, almost like it wasn't written in the script, but maybe that's a <laughs> no, testament to her acting skill. <laughs> it was written in the script. Uh, that is uh, The Ladies' Night. Mm. Oh, what a night. <laughs> oh, what a night. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, February 21st, 1950. The deep voice guy you're uh, listening to is Carl Amari. I mean, Gerald Moore. <laughs> Uh, Raymond Chandler's uh, detective genius, Philip Marlowe. We'll get back to it in a moment. I'm still at 
If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, this is Hollywood 360. We're broadcasting coast to coast, plus uh, globally on American Forces Radio. We hope you're enjoying our program. And uh, during the week, we get uh, lots and lots of texts and emails, mostly emails from listeners um, telling us um, what they like, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And, um, you know, they you know what they say, you can't please everybody, but most people get the fact that we are one the show is non-scripted there's no script at all it's a it's a completely um random ad-libbed program um but uh, i think most people get that we're best friends you and i, I think right? so and we right. kid right and we it's only each because other. we're so close that we're able to say the things to each other yeah. that we do we because goof. we goof we do, because we know underneath it, it's said with love and not with anything other than that. And, you know, the way we are on the radio <laughs> is exactly how we are in real life. And when it's we true. talk during the week, I still give her a lot of, uh, you know, we argue I, I all give of her the crap time. Oh, about yeah. stuff. And I give it and right back. And she gives it right back to me. <laughs> and we're best friends. It's true. So it's OK. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, like I can say, hey, you know, your hair looks really greasy today. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, well, I know that it's not, so it's a okay. She's like, I showered five minutes before I left before the <laughs> radio true. station it's today, true. and I said, you know what? That's good. It was like once a week. You take a shower once a week, whether you need. No, to, that's you. Whether you need to or not. That's right? your thing, not me so much, because I know that we're in a small studio, and I res- I am respectful of your nasal cavities. <laughs> <laughs> My nasal your passages. Ol- your olfactory system. Yeah, my o- <laughs> my odiferous. You're you're the odiferous to my o a what? Olfactory. Olfactory. Oh, olfactory. Okay. But yeah, we're we're best buddies, so we we and can, we hope that you guys can feel that in our banter. We can give each other uh, a hard time, but we really, really, and truly do. And the same with Mike too. Yeah. I mean, we hang out and just you Bubble know shoot bath the breeze himself. And- and it's all okay at the end of the day. Mike Bubble Bath Costello, the best uh, executive producer and engineer in the biz. That's true. He's Who doesn't it. take showers, only baths. That's, That's right. right. Baths. Which is highly unusual for a grown man. Yeah. You know, but who am I to say anything? That's right. All right, we're listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, the ladies' man. February 21st, 1950, starring Gerald Moore. Here's the conclusion. Killed most of the 30-minute wait at an all-night beanery a block away where I drank bad coffee and listened to a special monologue from a waitress, which was worse. And at exactly 10.30, I stepped into the street and walked to the alley behind the hardware store. 
moved cautiously toward the dark shadow of the building until a hand that gripped like a bear trap snapped shut on my upper arm, while another locked my wrist high into my back. Oh, one inch, Mr. Marlowe, and I'll oh. break it off and hand it to you. I was a lady wrestler, understand? Oh, do I still call you Annie? Oh, never mind the wisecracks. Oh. In a long day, and I haven't got patience. Now, what's your angle, Flatfoot? This. Slip, baby, in more ways than one. Start talking. All right. All right. Henrietta came from Seattle, not Portland. So now some advice. Forget Henrietta Lawrence, Shamus. You can't do her any good. You're a liar, Annie, and you know it. Wasting your breath, Shamus. That's bluff, Annie. Hot air. Yeah? I suppose that goes for the letter, too, I suppose. Letter? You slipped again, kid. What about it? You don't know what letter I'm talking about. But Mr. Marlowe, Henrietta Lawrence does. So tell her to call off the bloodhound, or that letter will go right to the cops. They'll know exactly what to do with Get it. Get going, sweetie. Oh, okay. Good. Roll it, over the of your head off. Go on, feed it while well, you can still walk. Go. All right. But I'll be around, Marlowe. So don't forget the message I gave you for Miss Lawrence. <laughs> Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Ladies' Night. Kay watched Annie Stringer lumber out of sight down the alley. And she turned, tossed me, and I told you so, smile and lit a cigarette for me. Here. Well, I guess it's a good thing I chucked that scullery-made routine and followed you after all, wasn't it? Look, I've already said thanks, so go ahead. Get real corny. Rub it in. Marlowe pinned by a woman. <laughs> that was no woman, Phil. It was the late gargantuous cousin. Yeah, I was also outnumbered and surrounded. By the way, where's your gun, Kay? I don't have any gun. Just what? a lot of bluff and curiosity about what you were doing out here in the alley with a creature like that. I was taking a judo lesson. By correspondence, maybe? <laughs> what was all that about a letter? Well... For my money, the way things stack up, Gigi Ormsby's top writer, one Henrietta Lawrence, is being blackmailed by Annie Stringer, and that letter is Annie's protection. Goes to the cops of anything. Take it outside, quick. What? What's the matter? Marlowe, not another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, my day, Tuck. Will you go on? It's important. All right, but don't forget you're a sucker for a hammerlock, so watch it. Hey? Senor Marlowe? Over here, Mona. Who's he? You are here. Are we alone? Yeah, yeah, we're alone. Good. It is worth my life what I'm going to tell you. And we like me alive, no? Look, what is it, Mona? You know something about Henrietta Lawrence? See, more than enough. There's a certain letter. Oh, you know about that, huh? Sure. I know where it is and what it says. Bless you, baby. Where is it? I want that letter bad. It's nice. Nice? See, and I would love to give it to you for nothing, but... But what? But my poor mother, she needs an operation... My father, the mortgage on the ranch. Your little sister wants music lessons. Uh, come on, kid. How much? How much is the life of Henrietta Lawrence worth, Phil, dear? To me, to you, to Henrietta Lawrence. Her life, huh? I'll see what I can do. You better do real good, amigo. It's a very serious thing. I take a great risk. Any stringer is stupid. But she's also strong like a bull. Come to my apartment. 8310 North Ardmore. Number D. One hour. D, huh? Okay, I'll be there. Good. And please, amigo, you don't hold hard feelings against me. Not for this. You know, business is business. Pleasure is pleasure, no? 
Maybe we can mix them. In an hour. I'll be waiting for you, Phil. How do you like that? It was as touching a little scene as I've ever witnessed. Skip it, Kay. This deal is liable to get rough before it's over, and I've got a call to make. Let's go. And I was dumb enough to warn you against the hammerlock. The kid, the, the hammerlock that that kid holds is like a pat on the head. Can I go with you just for laughs? Yeah, yeah. We're going to call on my client. You're scramming. Come on. Marlo, Gigi, got a line on Henrietta, but you're not going to like it much. What do you mean? How does it go, Marlo? Trouble is, she's got blackmail. I don't know what the hook is, but I have word of one of the bargainers is plenty serious. Who's doing it, Phil? A female mastodon named Annie Stringers, the big wheel. I got onto it through a letter. A letter? Yeah. Annie wrote her protection letter. It's got all the dirt in it and goes to the cops if anything happens to Annie. It's a standard routine. Where is this letter? Who has it? There's a double-crossing little Spanish number named Mona. I'm supposed to meet her again in an hour at her place. Phil, we must get that letter. Yeah, it's no sense, Gigi. Mona's not bright, but she's sly. It's liable to be expensive. That doesn't matter. Okay. Anything I can do to help Henrietta, I want to do now more than ever. What does that mean? I've heard from her, Marlo. She called me just a few minutes ago. Where was she? That's the tough part. She was crying. Said it was the end of everything. She tried to tell me about the last installments of the story, then she was interrupted. She gasped out something that sounded like American Airlines ticket office. Then the line went dead. There are three of those offices in town. Yeah. Well, we better check them. Look, can you take the one out in Beverly Hills? I'll get the others. All right. And Marlo, uh, where does this Spanish thing live? North Ardmore, 8310, apartment D. I'll meet you there in an hour. When Gigi hung up, I sent Kay to check the airline office in Hollywood for a woman carrying a cane and a big load of trouble, telling her to call me at the downtown agency within half an hour. And I headed south for the office on 6th Street. Halfway down, it began to rain. You know, the kind of dismal, misty drizzle that makes your clothes smell like blankets at a fire sale? I spent a fruitless half hour peeking into corners and trading descriptions, and finally, when Kay called in a negative report from the Hollywood office, it was high time to beat it out to my appointment with Mona. The rain had put enough dazzling sheen on the pavement to make the going slow and slick. But I got out to 8310 Ardmore not over a minute late. Apartment B was the last on the right and completely dark. As I walked toward it, I found myself following a set of feminine footprints rapidly filling with water. And besides, each left print was a little round hole. By the time that registered on me, I was already at the door and could hear her crying inside. I didn't wait to knock. Mona! Mona, it's me, Marlo. For Pete's sake, what happened to you? Phil. Phil, that woman was here waiting for me in the dark. She had a big club. When I came in, she grabbed me and beat me with it. I was a cane. Not that it makes any difference now. Hey, your apartment's a rest. She got the letter, huh? See, she got it, and look. Look at this open Later, later. Room. Right now, I want to know what that letter said, and you can forget about me paying the Mexican national debt for it. I want it free and fast. Come on, what's Annie got on Henrietta Lawrence? All right, all right. She, she knows it. What? Somebody's outside there. Oh, it's Gigi. Come on in, Gigi. Hello, Phil. Who's this, the tortilla pounder you told me about? Just a minute, you. You can't All right, hold it, hold it. Take You're it easy. A lousy housekeeper, sister. What happened? Your hat dance get out of control? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Henrietta scooped this Gigi. She was here and got the letter herself. She what? Yes. We were just talking about the letter when you came in. Now, let's get on with it, Mona. What's Big Annie's pitch? Supposing I won't tell you now. Then I'll have you in the pokey for attempted extortion before you can say Pancho Robinson, beautiful. Come on. Well, okay. That's better. For you, amigo, I tell. 
I don't know what Henrietta Lawrence means to this, this dragon here, but she's a murderer. Why, you lying little tamale tosser, that's impossible. Henrietta's a fine girl. You know what you're saying, Mona? Sure I do. I read the letter, didn't I? Henrietta Lawrence killed a woman in Seattle four years ago. Any saw her do it. She had names, dates, places, everything. I can't believe it. I just can't. She's such a swell person. Look, she even left this, the final installment of the story for me in that Wilshire ticket office. Well, we do, Phil. We gotta help her. Okay. Since neither she nor Annie counted on Mona here reading the letter, the best way to help her is to try to keep her from committing another murder. What, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Come on, Gigi, get with it. The letter was worthless, except as Annie Stringer's protection. Yet Henrietta went to all the trouble of getting it. Why? So she could shut Annie up, and there's only one way to do that. Kill her. Holy mackerel, I didn't even think. You should, senora. You got nothing else to work with. Drop that. Stop it, stop it, both of you. Better stay clear of it from here on, Gigi. Go home and wait for me. Okay, Phil, whatever you say. Call me as soon as you can. Sure, sure. All right, come on, Mona, let's go. Me? Yes. Oh, no, amigo. The letter's gone, and so is Mona's interest. I'm very tired. I now, listen, I should... you, you cut yourself in on this right up the Sombrero. You know, Annie, so you may be able to help me. It's that or spend the night in the cooler. Add it up, sweetheart. Andale. All right. You're so forceful, amigo. Come on, let's go. Well, Annie's not in her apartment and she's not around the health club. What's next, Mona? Where else would she be? Search me, amigo. Thank, will you? Has she had any appointments lately that didn't fit with her regular routine? Well, she went out on Fountain Avenue in a big hurry a couple of Fountain days. Fountain Avenue? That's where Henrietta's been staying, in a hotel out there. The Brace Hotel? That's it, on the nose. Is Annie dumb enough to go there now tonight? Sure. She's stupid. And her strength makes her reckless. That's it. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, Mona. It's here on the first floor. Hey, there. Now, just one moment, there. Where do you think you... Oh, it's you again, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, it's me again, Clarice. Now... If you're looking for that Miss Lawrence yeah. in number seven... Uh-huh. Well, you're sure in luck, Mr. Marlowe. She's in now. She came back about a half hour ago with a friend. The biggest woman I ever saw. Annie, it's true, amigo. You were right. Yeah, come on. Let's get back there. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you can't go back there. You're a man, and this hotel is for now, women look, only. sis, you've got a pass key there, haven't you? Come on, this entire night from start to finish has been for women only. Getting sick and tired of it, present company included. And where's number seven? Phil. Phil, this is it, right here. here. Henrietta! Unlock it, Clarice, fast. Uh, Get back. Henry! Dead. With a knife. Yeah. Go ahead and scream, Clarice. Get it over with. Oh, well. Where, where's Miss Lawrence? She no doubt left by the window here. Yeah, it's still open. Only five feet to the ground and a clear set of footprints in the wet dirt, cane marks and all, just like... Just like what, Mr. Marlowe? I started to say like the ones I saw earlier. Sure, the last installment of the story, the letter at Mona's, the airline ticket. Now she's out of it slick as a whistle. Clarice, call the cops. Here, give them my card. I'll get in touch. Where are you going, Mr. Marlowe? To break the unpleasant news as gently as possible to my client. Phil, what about me? What will I do now? Just keep looking at Annie, a beautiful, chiseling, double-crossing jerk. Oh. Maybe you'll learn something, but I'm not going to count on it. Phil! 
Gigi had a lot of lights on in a glossy Brentwood house. And as I walked up the wet, curving flagstones to her door, I could see her inside, pacing slowly back and forth. An impatient cigarette in one hand, a stiff brace of brandy in the other. Whatever Gigi Ormsby really thought or felt about Henrietta Lawrence then, I couldn't tell. But I was sure that before I left, she was going to despise her. Phil, I've been waiting for you to phone me. I... Something bad, isn't it? I can see it in your face. We found Annie Stringer's body, Gigi, in Henrietta's hotel room. Ah, what a dirty, dirty shame. And Henrietta? Gone. But she won't get far, not this time. The circle gets smaller every time. She can't keep on killing. It's got to stop someplace. Yeah, I suppose so. But I'm sorry for her, Phil. I hope she got a plane ticket tonight and is miles away by morning. I hope she gets a break this time. She didn't buy a ticket. She's not even running. And she won't get that break. You talk as if you know where she is, do you? Mm-hmm. You've been to Seattle, haven't you, Gigi? Well, of course, but not for years. You lived there. You were a writer before you became a publisher. Why? What is this? You knew Annie Stringer long before tonight, too, Gigi, huh? What are you driving at, Marlowe? That your real name is Henrietta Lawrence, that you killed a woman in Seattle once, changed your name and got away, but there was a witness. And a couple of weeks ago, purely by chance, that witness, Annie Stringer, ran into you, recognized you as Henrietta, and grabbed at the chance for blackmail. Stop it, Marlowe. So you had to bring Henrietta Lawrence back to life just long enough to get rid of the witness. But first you had to get a letter she'd written and also have someone who tell a straight story to the cops. So you hired me, planted the right leads along the way. You get away from that desk! I'll try it, Gigi. You can't win, so at least lose gracefully, will you? If this was in one of my books, no one would believe it. You're right, I can't win. It's all true, Phil. Where was the loophole? It started only as a hunch. But everything fit. I got it from the cane you used, Gigi, at Mona's place. The cane marks were on the left side of your tracks. But outside the hotel window, they were on the right. Anybody who really has to use a cane couldn't do that. Such a little thing. As a matter of fact, it was. Look, Marlowe, you're the only person between me and that break. I got more money than I know what to do with. I can bid high, really high. You wouldn't be for sale, would you? No, baby. Just for hire. Get your coat, Gigi. We're going down to headquarters. Getting the whole business down on police stationery one orderly step at a time is a process as full of, well, as full as the fiscal report of the First National Bank. It took twice as long to whip up. But finally it was all over. I was on my way home to my bachelor apartment. And then I remembered something. Never mind explaining what took you so long, darling. You're here now. Dinner is ready and waiting, and the martinis are ice cold. Just come on in and close the door. Yeah. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. 
and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, G.B. Hunter, Constance Crowder, Lillian Bayef, Gene Bates, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Rant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a friend with millions, a myopic chemist and a long-haired piano player were thrown into a panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. CBS wishes to remind you that Lum and Abner's wonderful down-to-earth Cracker Barrel humor is heard every week on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from February 21st, 1950. The Ladies' Man, starring Gerald Moore. It was sustained as heard on CBS. Quick, fun fact about Gerald Moore that I found out. He was the narrator on the Lone Ranger television series. Mm. Fiery horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. That's not bad. The Lone Ranger. Yeah. All right, what did you want to know? Did you have something you wanted to say? No? No? Oh, okay. Then how about this month in music history? All right. Let's do it. So we're going back to the 19th. 19... Try talking in the mic. It helps. I can't find it. It's this, this thing right here. I know. I couldn't find it. Oh. But I've got it. Okay. Uh, we're going back to the 1980s. This song You're goes back. You're not prepared? Back... You weren't prepared? Oh, I am over-prepared. Okay. This song goes back to 1981. Is it any wonder, wonder I've got too much time on my hands and... So this is Too Much Time on My Hands, released on Carl Amari's 1981 album called Paradise Theater. Man, I was all over the place And it reached number nine on the charts. Much time on my hands. Yeah, you were pretty darn famous in the 80s. What happened? You kind of went downhill after that. (laughs) Well, I uh, see 81. I graduated high school. Right, and then things just kind of fell apart for you, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you were better in your younger years. You know, in 1981, I was I was like going to I was pretty close to being a professional baseball player. Right. I mean, I was signed, sealed by and delivered one of the top <laughs> colleges in this in this in the whole country to play baseball. But here I am. Yeah. Here you are with your 1974 Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't go so well. Things could have gone better for you. <laughs> All right, Lisa, thanks. More of Hollywood 360 after this. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. In our next hour, Charles Boyer. I think it was Boyer. <laughs> that sounded was, like a lot of throats in there. Charles Boyer. Yeah. <laughs> he prizes his role in Hold Back the Dawn on the Screen Director's Playhouse from 1949. I like forgot how to say his name. It's Boyer. Boy, mm-hmm. Boyer. Right? Yeah, that sounds yeah, right. Charles Boyer. 
Um, but it's spelled B-O-Y-E-R, so it's kind of... That's like French or something. All right, we're going to play Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, the At, music edition? Right, it's the Cole Porter edition, of course. Yeah, Charles <laughs> Boyer. 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 <laughs> what did I say, Boyer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, give me some of that Roma wines, would you? <laughs> okay, you need some. All right. Well, <laughs> chill out a little bit. See you soon. <laughs> Hey everybody, Jared Sebestier, host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.